Come, let us prepare, we brothers that are here met on this happy occasion. We'll quaff and we'll sing, be he peasant or king. Here's a health to an accepted mason. The world tries in vain our secrets to gain, and still let them wonder and guess on. They ne'er can divine a word or a sign of a free and an accepted mason. Tis this and tis that, they cannot tell what, why the great men of every nation should aprons put on and make themselves one with a free and an accepted mason. Hand to each other firm stand, let be merry and put a bright face on. No order can boast so noble a toast as a free and an accepted mason. No order can boast so noble a toast as a free and an accepted mason. The law is still paralyzed by a hidden agent that continues to prove stronger than the combined force of its machinery and its ministers. The lodge of this agent has become its sepulcher. There it lies, a spectacle for free men to look at. In our boasted republic, the blood of an American who was taken from his home, bound, tortured, agonized, borne by the conspirators along the high roads with an impudent cavalcade, carriages, and horsemen, cast into a fortress over which had floated the sovereign flag of the Union, and at last immolated by harpies belonging to an organized and powerful institution who concealed their crime under the horrible delusion of their mystic tie. From the Anti-Masonic Almanac from the year 1832, published by William Williams of Utica, New York, around late 1831. The cover of the Masonic Almanac, in the form of a political cartoon, depicts a gluttonous, gigantic Freemason wearing an apron. His apron displays 1826 the date of the kidnapping and disappearance of William Morgan. Standing on a pedestal with an apron that says 1832 is a withered, skinny mason with a cane who looks weakened and he's being propped up by this gluttonous Freemason. Even though the Morgan affair had incredible ripple effects across the country, and spawned the first third party in the United States, the Anti-Masonic Party, they still had their reach in the power structures in the United States, and Masons were still too widespread for Anti-Masons' comfort levels. And even though this quote ends with the sentence, who conceal their crime 
under the horrible delusion of their mystic tie. One peculiar theme that unites anti-Masons, early Mormons, Freemasons, many religious revivalists at the time, and even just local townspeople who were familiar with this secret fraternity, was this idea that Masons actually were practicing some version of an ancient biblical temple ritual. And not only that, but that Masons actually were connected to a lineage of medieval secret stoneworking guilds. This was believed even by anti-Masons. It's apparent in William Morgan's own book, Illustrations on Masonry. It's apparent in the foreword to that book, written by Captain D.C. Miller, who was a vehement anti-Mason. In his foreword, he implies that Masonry does have some connection to the barbaric past of secrecy and blood oaths and hierarchy, and that that's part of why we shouldn't apply it to our modern time period. He does lean into the idea that he feels that it's a hollow shell, a husk of nothingness, that is a meaningless spiritual practice, takes pieces from the past and recontextualizes it as if it's some kind of grand secret, which in and of itself is a fair criticism. That is what masonry essentially does. But even D.C. Miller, after he had witnessed his business partner and friend be kidnapped and disappeared by the Freemasons and watched these Freemasons go to trial and go to jail for their crime, even D.C. Miller still believed that Masons had claim to an ancient lineage, to an ancient secret fraternity, Now at this time, the non-Blue Lodges, the York Rite, and the Scottish Rite Lodges had even more mysterious and spooky degrees that the Blue Lodges did not have. Of course, beyond just being able to ascend beyond the third degree, all the way to the 32nd or even 33rd degree, which was mystery-provoking enough. There were now subsects and sub-degrees of these different ascendant degrees. You could become a Knights Templar. Of course, the Knights Templar is something else that Masons would like people to believe is also part of their lineage. Even in the 1800s, most historians knew that was bullshit. But here are the Masons in the era of anti-Masonry with all these spooky new degrees trying to kind of lean into the idea and stoke more mystery about them that, hey, maybe we are actually associated with the Knights Templars. Of course, the Knights Templars is historically known as one of the Catholic's arch enemies. But the Masons also try to stoke more religious paranoia about them with these extra degrees. For instance, 
Other biblical names like Elu of Nine, Elu of the Fifteen, Royal Arch of Solomon, Royal Arch of Enoch, Perfect Elu, Prince of Jerusalem, Knight of the East, Knight of the Sword, Knight of the Rose Cross, Sovereign Prince Rose Cross. This specifically was also designed to play into the idea that Masons had some linkage to the original Rosicrucian alchemical secret practice, which really was never a cohesive practice to begin with, but was actually started more as a prank by several anonymous authors, but is argued to be some kind of secret society that sort of helped push along the Enlightenment. But now here the Masons are again, in the form of the Scottish Rite degrees, trying to link themselves to that alleged secret society. More degrees. Knights of the Brazen Serpent. Knight of the Sun. Knight Kadosh. It was through these ascendant degrees that Catholics again became infuriated at Freemasonry now taking some of their own papal symbolism and actual symbolism from the Catholic Church itself, including even their attire, and applying it to their own ascendancy of priesthood within Royal Arch Masonry, York Masonry, and Scottish Rite Freemasonry. There was an anti-Masonic almanac being published yearly throughout the 1930s, and every year, it would become increasingly more hyperbolic and more paranoid. So you actually have several different layers of Masonic hysteria taking place. You have the religious revivalism, the evangelical Christian and Catholic hysteria, which the Catholic hysteria is nothing new that had always been around ever since Masonry had been around. But the Christian and more fundamentalist religious fervor against masonry was new. But that was merely just one layer of the hysteria. And these anti-Masonic almanacs that would get published every year would mostly seem to play into that. They would portray William Morgan's kidnapping and his apparent execution in more satanic-looking depictions in these political cartoons. In a later cartoon depicted in the mid-1830s, they actually show William Morgan being roasted over some open coals in a barbecue pit while the masons wearing aprons next to him are holding him and hoisting him up on ropes, dropping him onto these hot coals with his stomach on fire. And these masons are wearing what appear to be masquerade masks uh, like you would see in Eyes Wide Shut So this was heavily leaned into by Thurlow Weed's hundreds of anti-Masonic newspapers, which there were literally hundreds of at this point. These anti-Masonic almanacs. They would lean into the religious paranoia aspect of it. And they would lean into the more general populist perception of it, that it was just a corrupt gentleman's club 
and that the elites were corrupt if they're Freemasons, and we need a realignment to get like the people back in charge. Kind of low-hanging fruit. But there was a different layer to it, I think a more interesting layer to the Masonic hysteria. Because if you want to see William Morgan from the perspective that he was actually interested in learning about Freemasonry, but still decided to expose it. What about the people who did find it spooky, who did find it impenetrable, but were curious to understand its secrets even deeper? The people who didn't like it, but thought that, well, there is something there. There seems to be more here. So what happened was with all these ascendant degrees and this idea that there were higher and higher degrees you can reach and get to these inner secret or circles that regular Blue Lodge members were left in the dark over. Once people started to understand that masonry was a lot deeper and had a lot more going on, The anti-Masons, in some ways, loved to hate it. There was a symbiotic relationship between the two, the anti-Masons and the Masons. It was this scary allure. Think of QAnon, Satanic Panic. You feel like you're in a horror movie. You feel like there's this secret conspiracy. And even though a lot of the things anti-Masons believed about Masons were true... What people already thought was spooky before about Freemasons might actually be even more spooky now, even after all these exposés. When I say exposés, I mean this was like a data dump era. Just willy-nilly releasing Masonic secrets and trying to expose them to regular people was kind of a trend now. William Morgan started a trend. He opened the floodgates. So this is what I mean by the other end of anti-Masonry. William Morgan wasn't some kind of evangelical, you know, conspiracy theorist who thought Masonry was satanic. He actually seemed like he wanted to try to crack it and figure it out and then expose it. So this was a data dump era for Freemasonry. It was just like, well, yeah, what is this thing? Let's just fully throw it all out there. And, you know, a lot of Masons probably felt that was extremely disrespectful. But maybe on some level, even some Masons were like, well, yeah, let's let's have it out. Let's see what's in here, because I'm even sort of drawn to this idea that there might be these inner secret or degrees that I don't even know about. And I'm actually wondering if there are higher levels of Masonry that I haven't been told about. Maybe I'm being kept in the dark. There's probably some of that going on. All different kinds of paranoid thoughts. Maybe some of them more logical, maybe some of them not. So that, in a way, the very act of this data dump era, even though you would think, oh, it would sort of destroy the mystique of masonry, it would make it seem like this hollow husk, this shell that D.C. Miller was basically saying it was, it in fact had the opposite effect. That these tell-all books, this dumping of all these secrets, actually raised even more questions and more curiosity and revealed that there was even more mystery and more esotericism and a deeper layer 
to people than ever before. People had almost no vocabulary about the Freemasons before books like Morgan's book started to come out. You know, other than John Robinson's constitutions, the writings by the Founding Fathers, other things, Morgan's book was one of the first main exposures people had to all this stuff. People really only had secondhand information. Now they had a wide vocabulary, generally speaking, of what Freemasonry was. But once you have this wide vocabulary, and you think you have all the answers to these so-called secrets, they are still shrouded in mystery, or double meaning, or symbolic code, or mathematically represented in such a way that it was too esoteric for most people to even understand. And this actually magnified the allure of the spookiness or the secrecy or the impenetrability of Freemasonry in that sense too. People felt that there was something deeper to it, that maybe if they kept peeling the onion, they would finally figure it out. Now I think, in fairness to Freemasonry, this really speaks to the power of it. Because it does feel like there is this deeper meaning to things because things are so coded. It gives you the sense that, well, maybe if you understood this code or how to interpret this, that there's this deeper layer to this and that. And as you'll see later, Albert Pike created a lot of connective tissue later as a roadmap for Freemasons to feel like all this stuff was connected to some deeper layer. But what happens when you peel an onion? You just keep peeling. And what you get is even just the Masonic symbols themselves seem creepy and impenetrable. Jason to reading Morgan's illustrations of masonry, people learn things like vitriol. In Freemasonry, vitriol is a motto heard in the Chamber of Reflection. It comes from alchemical tradition and refers to a process of internal spiritual purification. From the website symboldictionary.net, it says in chemistry, vitriol is iron or copper sulfate, salts, and their derivative, sulfuric acid. The name comes from the Latin for glassy and resemblance of iron sulfate to shards of green glass. Vitriol is symbolized alchemically as the green lion, a poisonous substance that appears when metal is degraded by acid. The alchemical motto for vitriol stands for Vasita Inoraria Tare Rectificando In Venus Occultum Lapidum Visit the interior of the earth and rectifying you will find the hidden stone. Masons also played around with death imagery something usually only seen in Eastern religions at the time period. Freemasons played around with skull and crossbones imagery 
in a specific geometric position. A skull with the two bones in an X pattern. The skull and crossbones is also an important emblem of masonry, where it symbolizes the transience of the material world. It is used in initiation rituals as a symbol of rebirth. This is similar to Tibetan Buddhism, which perhaps Freemasons already were influenced on some level by forms of Buddhism. It's hard to tell. Another Masonic symbol is a curious-looking rectangle with a slanted rectangle on top of it leaned up against another slanted rectangle referred to as the 47th problem that has been referred to as the foundation of masonry where many possible solutions to a particular geometrical problem should become emblematic of Freemasonry. But the importance of this symbol is largely unknown. Perhaps illustrating the Pythagorean theorem in symbolic form, that's still unclear. Masons also used a cipher at the time and had been using one for decades. Even though Masonic cipher was a simple substitution code to keep Masonic records hidden from prying eyes, it borrowed elements from the Ayik Bekar, a Kabbalistic cipher. The code is sometimes referred to as the pig pen cipher because the grid shape resembles an animal pen. In Scottish Rite, the most esoteric and powerful looking symbol was the double-headed eagle represented the 32nd and 33rd degrees of Scottish Rite masonry. And the hermetic alchemical doctrine in which many Masonic symbols are based the eagle is a sign of Scorpio and is emblematic of transformation. The lowly crawling Scorpio remade into the soaring creature of air. Combined with a sword representing heavenly fire and a crown of spiritual attainment. It wasn't just that Freemasonry was inspired by the Kabbalistic practices and beliefs in the Bible in King Solomon's temple holding secret codes it was that masonry was heavily dependent on gematria which is largely seen as the missing key to unlock scriptures and occult doctrines gematria is essentially exploring the inner meaning deeper layers of mystical writings and religious scriptures by using numerology. Kabbalistic practitioners obviously would use numerology to try to decode the Old Testament, the Torah. But Masons had another skill at their advantage, geometry and architectural knowledge. So what kind of complex forms of numerology could Masonic writings and occult rituals and practices actually be encoded in? Just this mere practice raises the possibility that there were deeper and deeper and deeper layers to Masonic writings. Even if you thought you understood a Masonic writing from a hundred years ago, perhaps that Masonic writing had an alternate meaning that was developed in some kind of 
Godel Escherbach Code. Said that even authors like Lewis Carroll used code to write alternate meanings into his own books. But I've gone off on quite a tangent about this. The point is that knowing more about masonry actually made it spookier, scarier, and made it seem far more complicated and even deeper than ever before. Even though the first main anti-Masonic convention made a pledge at their delegation to collect together as many Masonic writings as they can and expose them to the public, it might have actually had the opposite effect that they intended. What you've just been listening to was a 25-minute preview of Part 3 of the Media Roots Radio Free Masonic History of the United States podcast series. If you'd like to hear the entire episode and the whole series, you can become a Patreon subscriber of ours for as little as $5 a month at patreon.com slash Media Roots Radio.